Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. You know, there's no question that we live in a dark world. What is the solution to this world's problems? Well, we find the answers in an ancient text written 700 years before Christ was born. That's what Pastor John's message is about today from Isaiah chapter 9. In the meantime, be sure to hit that notification bell and and like and subscribe to our channel so you won't miss a thing. God bless you. I'd like you to turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And you're going to want to keep your Bibles open because we're going to move around just a little bit. Old Testament. Near the front of the Bible, kind of. I sit with a group of guys this week, uh, not members of the church, uh, and we were just kind of chatting, and somebody said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And before I could get an answer out of my mouth, he said, I hope you're preaching about the darkness of this world. I was absolutely stunned. uh, Well, yeah, I am. I mean, Isaiah, he said, I don't know anything about Isaiah. And so, I, I, we, live, we live in a dark world. And, and people know about it. The world is dark. The question is, how dark is it? Well, take a look around you. You've got pandemics. Uh, I, I mean, this thing is never ending. It just keeps coming back and coming back. And, uh, and you know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. For the first time in the history of the world, we all have a common experience. Everybody's been affected by it. We've got the pandemic. We've got a political morass. And, and it's not just here. I mean, this is a mess, amen? But it's everywhere. Natural disasters, storms and floods and fires and, and climate changes. It's dark and it continues to get darker. And if we don't understand, if we don't understand that this world is dark, we will never get our arms around the true meaning of Christmas. I love the traditional idea of Christmas. It's warm, it's fuzzy, there's lights, tinsel, Gifts, family, you know, all sorts of things. But if we don't understand the darkness that we exist in, we're not going to understand the real importance of Christmas. John talks about it in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the Word was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. In other words, we will never grasp the light that God has given us unless we understand the darkness that we're immersed in. It's a problem in the world today. We're unaware. We're unaware of the darkness. We embrace technology. We see planes driving a million miles an hour and worldwide nets and videos that you can watch that were made in China ten seconds ago. And we think, we think that's enlightenment. We don't see the darkness. The world is unaware. But, you know, I say the world's unaware, but we know, don't we? 
No, we understand. We can feel it deep down inside. We feel it in our souls. Something is not quite right. We're lacking something. Maybe, maybe a lot of people don't know what we're lacking, but they're, we're, we're lacking. There's an imbalance. There's a, a missing element in the world today. And I'm here to tell you that missing element, brothers and sisters, is hope. It's hope. Yes. Oh, it's falling apart. Okay, that may happen again. So. So I want to talk to you about hope today. This is what, all I want for Christmas, part two, is hope. Hope. We're going to look at our situation, and we're going to see three elements of our situation. We're going to see the problem, we'll see the solution, and then we'll see what we can do about the solution. So I've already spoken about the problem. The darkness is all around us. And the problem with the darkness is this, and you understand this, our eyes get accustomed to the lack of light, don't they? Turn the lights off and we can't see anything, but give it a few minutes, and your eyes begin to adjust. We adjust to the, to, and we begin to function. And some of us can function very well in the dark. And soon the darkness and functioning in the darkness becomes a norm. We learn our way around. We learn where the obstacles are. We learn what to not trip over. Every now and then we stub our toe because something unexpected happens. But we get used to the darkness. And here's what compounds the problem, because the darkness that we're in is not necessarily physical. It's spiritual. And the odd thing about that is the situation hasn't changed very much since the beginning of time, certainly since the first century A.D. If you take a look at the the environment that Jesus was born into, violence dominated everyone's life. Injustice was running rampant. People were enslaved. People were abused. There was uh, political corruption everywhere you turned around. Refugees were escaping oppression. Families were being decimated. There was grief. There were earthquakes. There were storms. There was just pain everywhere. Same was true in Isaiah's time. So our situation isn't quite as unique as we might think it is. God sent a prophet to Isaiah's country to tell the people to look for the Lord and to wait upon Him to arrive. Listen to this passage in Isaiah chapter 8, starting with verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, listen carefully, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy, let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it, they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. 
Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This, this is my Christmas sermon. <laughs> and what we see is in Isaiah's time, people looking everywhere for answers. They're desperate to find answers. They're looking to experts. Now, the experts of the day were called mediums and necromancers, they, mystics. Well, who are they? Now, and, and we need to understand what's going on here. And to do that, we need to put our preconceptions of these ancient people aside. Because I think we have a tendency to look at them and go, oh, we're so sophisticated. We would never do that. We, who's going to go to a mystic today? Listen, kings and emperors consulted mediums and mystics. And the job of the mediums and the mystics was to analyze, listen, current events and give those current events meaning and focus and to tell the leaders and advise the peoples and the, and the people what to do about what was going on around them. Look, here's what's happening and here's what we think you ought to do. They were, in every sense of the word, cultural commentators. There were talking heads who chirp and mutter. And to form their commentary, where do they look? They look to the earth. They look to their environment. They look to things here below. They look to human wisdom and they find meaning from current events and looking for answers everywhere but up into heaven. Everywhere but toward God. Where the answers really are. Now, see, there's nothing new going on today. It's the same as it was 2,700 years ago. The only difference, the only difference is how quickly we get our information. And man, it comes at us fast, doesn't it? The sheer volume of ungodly input through all of this can be overwhelming. So what's changed is we got all the news right now. Anybody remember when the news used to come on at 6 o'clock? What was it? Local news, wasn't it? Half hour local news, half hour national news. Let's watch Jeopardy. Now we've got 20, 24 hours of news. If you don't like this channel, change that one. 
If you don't like what this one's saying, change that one over there. And if you don't like that, look at your phone. You got the news on there. You got the news on, on, on your, your iPad, on your computer. It follows us around. We're soaking it up 24 hours a day. And through all that, nothing's changed. The darkness remains. So there's, there's the problem. As a matter of fact, some of the things we hear feed the darkness. And, and by feeding the darkness, what I mean is this, some of the things we hear cause us to look to the earth, cause us to look around us and try to find answers for it in what's happening around us. We need cultural commentators. We need, we need mystics to tell us what to do about everything that's going on. It's all part of the darkness. And the great news is there's a solution. There's a solution to this. And the solution is for some light to appear. Now, we see this in our passage in Isaiah 9. And, you know, the Jews understood, uh, as they began to get more and more familiar with Isaiah, that this passage is about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They, they, they didn't say, oh, someday Jesus Christ is going to be here. But they knew that there was a deliverer. They knew there was a Savior that God was going to send them. And Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. So Isaiah 9 says this. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen, what? A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So we hear there's a light. Isaiah would, see, would say, there will be a light. And it will shine on a dark world. And what will the light do? Well, the light is going to do what light does. It, it illuminates. It dominates and defeats darkness. It reveals truth. It brings warmth. And what else does light do? It brings life. Without light, we have no life. Now notice where the light comes from. The light doesn't come from the world. doesn't come from the environment around us. It says, it shone. And what the Jews would have heard was it, it shined down from above. And there's the big news. Salvation, deliverance comes from outside of this world. It doesn't come from inside the world. Nobody down here has the answer. It has to come from somewhere else. It doesn't come from worldly wisdom. It doesn't come from human commentary. It doesn't come from a political party. It doesn't come from the government. But it is a light that shines down on us from above. And then in verse 3, watch this. The first word in verse 3 is you... Now the light has become personified. The light is a person. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now we'll find out that they are the people who follow the light. The light is a person who is victorious over all things and shares the spoils of his victory with those who belong to him, with those that are his. And listen to this in verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, 
the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, this is kind of complicated. I'll give you the Kavakis translation on this here, the paraphrase. It says, there's no force on earth anywhere that is more powerful that can withstand or oppose the light, him. He is all-powerful and will gain everything and will deliver everyone who follows him. And it will be by the power of his might. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. How is this going to be accomplished? It's going to be accomplished in a most unusual way. Verse 6, For to us a child is born. A baby is going to be born. Now, now watch, watch the verbs here. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. So, the baby is given. He's a gift. And the government will be upon his shoulder. He's a gift that will have power and authority to rule over everything. And look at this. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Oh, I love this. He's a gift that will have power and authority to rule over all. And the baby will understand. What does a wonderful counselor do? This is a beautiful counselor. It's, this is the counselor of all counselors. The baby will understand what you're going through and will guide you through the darkness. That's what a counselor does. He helps you. And he will be a mighty God. The baby will be the omnipotent creator of everything. The baby is going to be God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the loving parent of all of us who has no beginning or no end. He's an incredible baby, isn't it? He's a prince of peace. He's the one who reigns forever in peace and tranquility. This is what the Jews would have heard. The baby's a picture of contentment and joy and rest for all eternity. And furthermore, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His kingdom will continue to prosper and his subjects will continue to grow spiritually and his kingdom will be forever getting greater and more beautiful. That's an incredible set of promises in, two, in a couple of short verses, isn't it? And he will be on the throne of David and over his kingdom. In other words, he is a descendant of David. This is a technical term here so that we can recognize the baby and verify that it's the right baby when he appears. And he's going to do what David could not do, and that is to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love this. I mean, it's the picture of hope, isn't it? And, and, and look at this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. He doesn't need our help. We can't get in there and mess it up. 
No one can. He does it because of who He is, not because of anything else other than Him being all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present God of the universe. It's a picture of a conquering Savior who brings not a grace, not, not a sword, but grace to all those who believe in Him forever. And He is a solution to a dark world, an all-powerful, singular, unmatchable light in the darkness that covers this world, an eternal light that never fades, never burns out, never fails, and is ever faithful and true. He is the light. So we see the problem, darkness, amen? We see the solution, what? Light? God? A baby who is God? What do we do? What can we do about that? Well, in order to find out what we can do, we've got to go to Isaiah chapter 53. Turn there. Isaiah chapter 53. 52 chapters after chapter 1. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is what we can do. We can believe in him. We can believe in the light. We can believe in the baby. And that's all we have to do. Now, in, in, in many ways, we, we understand there are other things that we're called to do. But in many ways, this is really just the first step. But we need to establish that first step because it is vitally, eternally crucial to our eternal destiny. And later on, the Scriptures are going to tell us that that we have to confess that we are helpless to save ourselves. Why, Why are we helpless to save ourselves? Well, before the baby comes and brings light into our lives, we're not just in the darkness, brothers and sisters. We're part of it. We're not just immersed in it. We ourselves are dark. There's no truth in us. There's no light in us. There's no illumination in us. We need help. We can't find our way. We see no truth. Not until the light shines down upon us and brings us life. Brings us new life. And look at, look at how the baby's going to bring us this new life. Verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, listen, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. How does this work? And how by His wounds are we healed? The answer is in the next verse. 
Verse 6. If I can find my place here. Isn't this amazing? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is how the baby saves us. He takes on our iniquity. He suffers for our iniquity. He does it by experiencing, and, and look at everything he's gone through. He does this by experiencing everything we have ever experienced. Pain, grief, loss, betrayal, torture, poverty, oppression, injustice, hate, humility, ridicule, rejection. There's nothing that you and I will ever go through that he doesn't understand and hasn't experienced himself and it takes it upon himself. What kind of God is this? There's no religion that any man has ever made up that has a God who sacrifices Himself for those who follow Him. That has a God who endures pain. Who does it to forgive and to cleanse those who believe in Him. And not just to forgive and to cleanse, but to be with them forever. Verse 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Not a complaint came out of Him. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He doesn't complain. As a matter of fact, He endures it willingly. He immerses Himself in His filth completely, even as He has the power and authority to avoid it all and wipe everyone out. He takes all of it so that you and I could be free, so that we can walk in the light, so that we can be with Him. And verse 8 says, By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for what? For the transgression of His people. The light. The baby. Our God dies for us. What does He ask us to do? Confess and believe. It's incredible. And our problem is this darkness around us. So overwhelming, so complete, so much in us and through us, not just surrounding us, so much keeping us from seeing the truth. The solution is light. Light personified. Light that comes down as a baby, as a gift to us. A Christmas gift so completely perfect that it has the power to change us. To pull us out of darkness and to make us into His light. To transform us into His love and make us into messengers of His grace. It's absolutely fabulous. And what can we do? We can receive it. We can embrace the transformation. We can chase after it. We can walk in the light. We can allow that light to shine on others. 
But we should also worship Him who brings it. Strive to act like He does. Stand against the darkness by being what? Light. That's what He's called us to be. Light. Not part of the darkness, not to add to the darkness, but to be light. We can receive the light. We can receive the truth. We can reject the world. We can reject the darkness. Yes, indeed, the world is dark. The world is incredibly dark. And there's nothing anyone or anything in this world can do to push back the darkness. But there's hope. Brothers and sisters, that's the message today. There is hope. And our only hope lies in the most amazing Christmas gift anyone anywhere has ever received. The gift of forgiveness the gift of redemption, the gift of salvation as a way out of the darkness and into the internal light. And that hope, brothers and sisters, is Jesus Christ given to us at this time of year so that we can see the light and become the light. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks that You are light and truth and life. Help us to see this, Father. Help us to embrace it. Help us to look for our answers above and not here around us, Father, to keep our focus upon You. Even as we move into these next few days where the world catches its breath and pauses for a moment and helps us to realize that we have the solution, the answer to the darkness. And it is in Your only Son, who gave up his life that we might become one with him. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the gift of all gifts, the model of all giving that was ever given, your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.